0: This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Rava. Praise God. Alright, so tonight we are continuing with our series that we are studying. And it is titled, The Epistle to the Hebrews. And tonight we are going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 to 14. And we are subtitling this section, The Value of Understanding God's Law. Now, if you have a Bible with titles, you'll see that different translations have different titles, but most of them have a title under this section to do with spiritual maturity, with spiritual growth. And so, if that's what your Bible says, and that's what you're used to, and specifically when it comes to this portion that we're going to study, if you are accustomed to the teaching that says that this is about spiritual maturity, that you know the author is contrasting basically baby Christians to adult Christians, spiritually mature Christians, well, you're in for a bit of a shocker here because when we read it in context in context of everything we've studied so far and what he's saying and when we look at the detail of what he's actually talking about you'll see that that's not what he's talking about he is not talking about baby christians you know mature christians and so forth and you know from all this so much has derived in christendom you know where people are referred to as baby christians For example if someone received salvation in jesus in the last few days or the last few months and someone else has been saved for longer than that they received salvation in jesus at least longer than that you know then they refer to that person as a baby christian and i understand what they are trying to say that they are fairly new to the faith but the fact is is that you know we don't receive a baby jesus when we receive salvation in jesus we receive all of christ all of Jesus. And so, to refer to someone as a baby Christian is not exactly scripturally correct. In actual fact, if you look at Scripture, specifically the New Testament, you'll never find any of the apostles referring to anyone who received salvation in Jesus uh, freshly. You wouldn't, or just recently at least, you, you won't see them referring to them as a baby Christian, as a teen Christian, as a grown-up Christian, as a you know, seasoned Christian. No, because we receive the fullness of Jesus. Amen. But anyway, so let's study our portion tonight. Now, as a quick reminder, remember that the epistle to the Hebrews is a letter that is written to a Jewish community. Predominantly consisting of people who had received salvation in Jesus. Uh, Oftentimes we refer to them as Messianic Jews they received salvation in jesus and so that's what they were but they were of jewish heritage so they were people who were accustomed to relating to god by the old covenant law and so there was a lot for them to learn about the new covenant and about the grace of god and so this was written to them now again they were living outside of israel that's made very clear we studied that in our early days and so bible scholars believe that it was greece I personally believe that it was Greece because of the very reason that the author makes much reference to the Old Testament to show them how it's a type and shadow of the real in Jesus. But he uses and he quotes from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. And he did that because they were obviously Greek speaking. And so uh, that's something we want to remember as far as this community, most of them had received salvation in Jesus. But they were also facing a lot of persecution. In some cases, extreme persecution. And they were even put in prison um, for believing in Jesus. Because remember, just like Paul the Apostle, before he received salvation in Jesus, on the road to Damascus, he thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he was doing the work of God, if you will when he was going around persecuting Christians, having them imprisoned, and so forth, until the Lord said to him, what are you doing? You, you're coming against me. And so in the same way, these Christians here were being persecuted, they were being put in prison, because the Judaizers, as they call them, those are people who want to draw people back to the law and relating to God by law, they were not happy. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders were not happy that they had received salvation in Jesus. because In other words, they converted. And so they didn't like that. And because of that, they faced persecution, which is one of the reasons why the author of Hebrews writes to them to encourage them, but to also warn them not to give into the peer pressure, the persecution and the imprisonment, and just the hard times that they were facing for their faith. He writes to them to encourage them not to do that, but also to warn them about it because... It's the consequence is not pleasant. If you reject salvation in Jesus, that's it. You're doomed eternally. Isn't that so? And remember, you always hear me saying that you cannot lose your salvation from God's point of view, but you can reject it. And so he didn't want them rejecting salvation in Jesus by going back to law. And so that's one of the reasons why he writes, to them. So, let me, in actual fact, let me show you. We're going to jump ahead a little bit here to chapter 10. We are going to study this, but I want to show you what I just mentioned here. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 34, from the New Living Translation. Watch what it says. Now, this is, again, the author writing to them. And I believe that it was Paul the Apostle, but there's no conclusive evidence that it was him. It says they think back on those early days. Remember, he's writing to this community now. When you first learned about Christ, remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Look at that. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. Watch this. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. I mean, that alone shows, shows us that they weren't exactly cruising and they weren't exactly choosing to go back to law just because, you know, it was more popular, the heritage was there and they grew up with that. Um, I'm sure that played a part in it, but you can see that there was persecution there, that there was some serious stuff. I mean, they were they, they were they suffered, they were beaten, they were ridiculed publicly, they uh, were thrown in jail. And then on top of it, it says that everything they owned was taken from them. I mean, imagine that happening to you. Imagine one day this group just shows up, takes everything, throws you out of your house, And then they go and publicly ridicule you. They beat you publicly and you begin to suffer and try and get your way back. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how many of us have faced that for our faith, for our profession in Jesus. So this is what they were facing. And because of that, a lot of them, you know, couldn't handle it, I guess. A lot of them were just, it was too much for them. And so because of that, they were were thinking, you know what? It's probably just easier if we go back to relating to God by law and become, you know, Jews again, traditional Jews and Orthodox Jews. Go back to the temple, listen to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's forget about this salvation in Jesus thing and everything else. Can you imagine that? And I, I don't blame them for thinking that or being tempted that way. But, of course, this is why the author has such a heart to encourage them not to do that, because that would be crucial. That would be uh, that would be bad for them, because they would be eternally doomed, in essence. And so, as a form of encouragement and warning, he writes to them and goes into great detail, explaining why it would be a bad decision to reject salvation in Jesus. Now, if you recall, he's already mentioned, I think, two or three warnings. And so, you know this is why the heart behind it, and you know it's interesting when you look at the ending of Hebrews. There's thirteen chapters, and you know towards the ending of that, in the final one of the final verses, it's just uh, to me. I was having a little chuckle and love for him because I saw this. Let me show you this in Hebrews thirteen twenty-two. Watch what he says here. He says, "I call on you, brothers and sisters, listen patiently to this message of exhortation." And encouragement. See, he calls it exhortation and encouragement. So he wasn't out to bring guilt, shame, and condemnation. That's not his aim. Some people teach Hebrews that way. Some people make it sound that way. But from the author's point of view, this was about exhortation and encouragement. But then watch what he says at the end of that verse. For I have written to you (laughs) briefly. I mean, you got to chuckle with that. Because think about it. Right now... We ourselves, as New Creation Church, are in part 21. So 21 weeks that we've been studying this, and we're not even halfway. And yet he says there, he says, you know, I've written to you this brief encouragement and exhortation. And so, you know, next time you want to complain about my sermons going on too long, and, you know, me going over time and this and that, not that I believe that you do, but if ever you feel that temptation, remember, I am sharing with you an encouragement and exhortation Briefly, <laughs> in the light of eternity, it's definitely briefly, and so. But anyway, it's, it's it's interesting and encouraging to see that, and so his warnings are not meant to make them feel uncomfortable or get fearful about you know God and the things of God. No, they are to help them realize the consequence of rejecting salvation in jesus that's why he warns them and anyone who cares for anyone else any minister any pastor who cares for the flock will do the same thing you know yes we'd like to hear about the grace of god the blessing of god the favor of god and god wants us to hear that but these warnings are also in there and not just in hebrews in other places too they are there to let us know that you know as much as The finished work of the cross is a blessing to you remember that you can't lose it but you can reject it and so any anyone who loves you and cares for you will also bring forth that warning in a nice loving manner and that's what he does here because he wants them also to appreciate and value redemption in jesus amen but it wouldn't be fair for him not to warn them about that and so in our last uh, last study the writer finished explaining how and why Jesus is the ultimate king priest. Or you could say high priest in the sense of chief priest. And so he explains how and why Jesus is superior. He explains to us, he explained to us why he there's no other mediator that can do what Jesus did between people and God. Amen. And so we've covered all that. So now we're going to continue with a portion that we are studying tonight, which is Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. But in our portion, we're going to read it now first, and then we'll break it down and study it in portions. Now, we are going to read it, including verses 9 and 10, so that we don't lose context. Remember, I always said to you, Three key rules for reading Bible, interpreting Scripture, making sure that we don't get off track in understanding Scripture. Number one is reading everything in context. Number two is let the Bible interpret the Bible. And number three, which is probably the most important, is look at everything through the lens of the finished work of the cross. Because that's the ultimate message of the whole Bible. Amen. And so we don't want to lose the context here. Alright, so, Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 9. But remember, the key that we're reading is 11 to 14. It says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. So, this is talking about Jesus. Unto all them that obey him, called of God, and high priest. Remember, that's king-priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's the context. Now, he continues and he says, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. That's a little hard. For when, for the time, you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not... Strong meat. Another way you can translate that strong meat is strong food. Solid food, at least. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, traditionally... What is extracted from this portion and how I've heard teachings about it is is that, you know, this is talking about being a mature Christian or being a baby Christian. Why? Because you don't bother learning the things of God. So now we've got to go back and teach you the basic things of the gospel again. That's what he said traditionally. And then also within that, you know, as, as, as it ends, the part is thrown in to say, see, if you were mature, you would know the difference between good and evil, between sin and not sin. And you would be able to live right and do right. Now, legalistically, that is how it's generally traditionally taught. But that's, <laughs> that's far from what he's actually saying here, what the author is saying. And so, what I need to draw your attention to, and then I'll cover it and I'll show you. We need to bear in mind, when reading this portion, that the author is not contrasting two kinds of Christianity. Baby Christianity and Mature Christianity. He's not contrasting that. He is actually contrasting, listen to this carefully, because this is key to understanding that portion. He is actually contrasting Judaism to Christianity. Or you could say he's contrasting Old Covenant law and New Covenant grace. He's actually contrasting the two and showing the difference, but the value of understanding the one, which is the law, in order to fully comprehend the other. That's really what he's doing. And I'm going to show you that now as we study that portion tonight. And so what he wants them to understand and what he's really contrasting here is the type and the shadow against the substance, the real. So basically what he's doing is he's showing them old covenant types and shadows, which were all a type of Jesus who is the real. That's really what he's focusing on in this portion. And you're going to see that now. So his goal for them is to see the value and superiority of redemption in Jesus by properly understanding or adequately understanding God's law. That's what he's doing. That's why we've titled this subsection that way. And so now in this portion that we're about to study, uh, as I said, Many make the assumption that this is talking about baby Christians and grown-up Christians. And so we'll see that, that it's not the case. All right, so let's begin by taking a closer look at it. Let's begin by looking at verses 10 and 11. Now remember, ele- from 11 is our key study tonight, but I don't want to lose context. So we're going to read 10, but we- really our focus is 11. So let's have a look at it. He says there, remember, talking about Jesus here. And so he says, Called of God, so Jesus is called of God, a high priest, or you could say king priest, after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, Jesus is not from the Levitical priesthood. We've covered all that already. But then he says, and he continues in context here, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Let me point out a few things there. First, he says, of whom we have many things to say. I have heard some teachers and some folks preach and teach and explain this portion to say that the of whom is referring to Melchizedek. And he's not, because the greater context here is Jesus. Jesus is high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So he's referring to Jesus, not Melchizedek. And he says, of you know, whom of Jesus as king priest. In other words, in the order of Melchizedek, he says, I have many things to say to you about that. But then he says, it's hard for me to come up with the words. And he says, here's the reason why. Because you are dull of hearing. I mean, can you imagine me getting up one day? You're probably going to think I'm acting self-righteous, full of pride. And I think I've arrived somewhere and I'm you know, looking down at you and talking at you instead of to you. Well, that's what it would seem like, because here what he says is, you know, as far as Jesus is concerned in his role of king priest in the order of Melchizedek, he says, there's so much that I want to tell you about that, that whole typology, that whole background in the Old Testament. He says, but I can't even think of the words that you would understand, that would make sense to you, because it looks like you've become dull, like, You know, it doesn't get through. You don't receive truth of hearing. I mean, that's pretty strong, but you'll see the heart of what he's really saying there in a moment. And so, to help us understand that he's actually referring to Jesus and not to Melchizedek. Because if you say of whom, and I've heard teachings again where people say, well, you know, of whom is talking about Melchizedek? And so really he's trying to explain to them about Melchizedek, and that's what they can't get. They just have a hard time understanding truth about Melchizedek. Now, he goes into detail about Melchizedek in, in chapter 7, but it's all just part of the context. That's not the focus here. Let's have a look at the same portion, uh, verse 11 at least, from the J.B. Phillips translation. Watch what it says here. It makes it clear to us that that's what he's referring to. He's referring to Jesus as high priest. It says, There is a great deal that we should like to say about this high priesthood. See that? Not about Melchizedek himself, but about the high priesthood or the king priesthood of Jesus. That's what he's saying. In other words, there is so much more that I want to share about Jesus in his role as our king priest. He says, but it is not easy to explain to you since you seem to so <laughs> since you seem so slow to grasp spiritual truth now the reason why he says you seem to be so slow in grasping truth is number 1 because of what they were facing what they were going through but number 2 because of the fact that they were considering the law again and they were mixing law with grace and many wanted to go back to law. And so law was having that effect on them. It was making them dull. It was making them slow to grasp new covenant spiritual truth. And so what he is saying is, is that it's hard to get through to you because in a way you're resisting it. In a, in a way you're not accepting it. But also there's another reason. They just didn't understand old covenant typology to a great degree. And that's why I say we've titled this section, The Value of Understanding God's Law. I'm not saying we need to relate to God by law, but it, there's great value in understanding God's law. Because if you don't understand God's law, you are not going to really understand New Covenant realities. And you are not going to see the relationship between all the New Covenant and how we no longer relate to God by law, but relate to Him by grace. If we fail to have a good understanding of the law, we won't see that. But also, we won't really value grace if we don't really understand law. Isn't that so? And so that's (laughs) the reason why. So I've run a little bit ahead of myself, but I'm going to show you that. So he is really talking to Jews who received salvation in Jesus, but really, in essence, were contemplating going back to law. And that is what was making them dull of hearing it was the fact that they were they couldn't hear gospel truth and receive it completely because now they were they were entertaining more of the law they were starting to you know get more law and mix law with grace and this is why as much as some people hate me and don't like the fact that I preach you know the message the wonderful gospel it's because they they you know some people seem to think we are antinomians in other words we hate the law we're against the law i'm not I love the law. You love the law. But we need to understand its place in the new covenant believer's life and why God has it and gave it to us as new covenant believers. Amen. And so, but this is what was going on because that's the effect the law has on a believer. Did you hear what I said? If a believer entertains the law, mixes law in with new covenant, old covenant law with new covenant grace, it's going to confuse them. It's going to dull them. That's in essence, because that's what he's saying here. He says, you become dull, slow of hearing. That's the effect that it's going to have on them. And you know, you may say, well, that's impossible. When you understand grace and you realize the wonderful grace of God and understand the difference between law and grace, you know, it's impossible. I, and I know some of most of you would say, I would never go back to that. I know that I wouldn't. I mean, I have to walk away from so much. And, and in many ways really sacrificed and put my family through it for that reason. And we, here we are still today. But the reason for that is because... Uh, the reason why I'm saying that is because I know some folks who were a part of our church body. They were with us for years. They heard the gospel. And then all of a sudden, we don't see them anymore. And then we try and follow up. Some of them just block us and ignore us completely. But those that were able to, you know, in some way hear a little bit at least about, it shocks me that they've gone back to a mixture of law and grace situation. You know, because they like the atmosphere more. They like the size of the church more. They like all the hype and all the celebrity exposure and whatever. And I'm thinking, man, you have no idea what you are sacrificing in terms of doctrine into your heart because of that. And so... Anyway, but that happens. And so this is what they were dealing with here. But I want to show you how the law does have that effect on people. I've actually taught a message, taking the veil off, which um, I will teach again sometime. But let me show you 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14. Here you see clearly the effect that the law has on someone. Watch us now. But in fact... Their minds were hardened, for they had lost the ability to understand. So, Paul is talking about believers here. He says, Their minds were hardened, and they lost their ability to understand. See, that's dull of hearing. That's the equivalent of that. For, he says, Watch this, and here he gives us the reason. Until this very day, watch this, at the reading of the Old Covenant, that's talking about the law, it doesn't say Old Testament. It says Old Covenant. So, that's specifically referring to the law. At the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed only in Christ. And so, you know, we need to read this in context to understand it more and further. But in essence, you get the picture here. What he's saying is, is that those who have hard minds, those who struggle to understand, those who have become dull of hearing, slow to understand, they struggle with gospel truth, it is because they still have the veil of the law over their minds and their hearts. Because that's what it does. And here you'll see he's contrasting the veil that Moses wore. But basically what he is saying is, is that someone who embraces law into their doctrine, into their belief system. Someone who mixes law with grace. Someone who doesn't clearly understand the difference. What that aspect of law. And I mean, even Jesus spoke about it. Paul the Apostle spoke about it. And he called it yeast. He called it, you know, if you just need a little bit, and it, it <laughs> infiltrates the whole batch of dough. And so, you know, we heard it from Jesus and the Apostle Paul. But that's what it does. A little bit of law is enough to corrupt the gospel truth and to blind one, to put a veil over them and prevent them from seeing gospel truth. And this is what was going on with these Hebrew believers. Because they were now trying to be politically correct, they wanted to avoid persecution, imprisonment, and everything else that they were facing. They now started embracing a bit of law just to seem right so they don't get as persecuted and as as badly treated. And uh, many of them was saying, well, you know what, let's just go back to law. Then we'll avoid this whole thing. Then we'll get back everything we owned and everything else. And so, you know, in a way, I guess you can't blame them, but what a horrible mistake that would be. I'd rather lose it all than do that. Wouldn't you agree? But you can see that's what the law does to someone. So let's continue now looking at verse 12 of Hebrews 5. So we're continuing with our context of our portion that we are studying. And remember, he last, his last statement was, This is that scene that you are dull of hearing. Then he goes on and he says, For, in other words, here's the reason why. When for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not strong meat. Let's leave that on for a moment. I want to show you a few things here. Notice, firstly, he says, you should be teaching gospel truth by this time. You should be so familiar with the new covenant and gospel truth and redemption in Jesus that you should be teaching it to others. He says, but instead, you need to be taught again, he says, the very first principles. And this is where, traditionally, the error is made where people say, well, you see, he's talking about the gospel. So therefore, he's talking about the first principles of the gospel. And in this case, they say, you know, he calls it the oracles of God. And so this is why they kick into this baby Christian and mature Christian uh, aspect. But then he says, and they become need of milk, which obviously babies don't have teeth. They can only handle milk, right? Right. And then he says they're not strong meat. Why? Because they don't have teeth. They can't chew food yet. They're just not ready for it. So he parallels it and he uses a, a, an example to illustrate what he's trying to bring across over here. Okay. So let's study that portion a little bit more. You saw that he, that he said the first principles. You remember that? He said it is necessary for, you, for me to teach you again. He says the first principles of the oracles of God. What does he mean by first principles? Well if you look it up in the original, um, what it another way you can translate it is basically the basic elements. You know, like ABC 123, it, it kind of likens it, you know, when someone shows you pictures before they tell you what the word actually is, what the name of something is. It's the way we teach children basically. And so that's what he means by that. He says the principal things, the basic elements. And this is not on the screen, but I'm going to tell you. For example, the Passion Translation translates the first principles as the basics. The NIV translates it as the elementary truths. The ESV translates it as the basic principles. So you can see that it's talking about elementary things. And he says, now it's, you know, you should be teaching the gospel by now. But unfortunately, I have to teach you again, the very first basic elements, basic truths, basic principles. But then he qualified it and he said, of the oracles of God. Let's put that one back on. Watch this. He said, watch this, the first principles of the oracles. Notice I made a different color so I can explain it to you. The oracles of God. Okay, we can go on from there. So, what does he mean by oracles? Well, I'm about to show you, and I'm going to give you two references. There's there's more. But I'm going to give you two references to show you that he is talking about God's law. He's not talking about Christianity, Christian doctrine, New Covenant doctrine, Redemption in Jesus doctrine, Finished Work of the Christ doctrine. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the law. Because what he just said, basically, is by now you should be teaching gospel truth. But, and I'm going to rephrase it and paraphrase it my way and I'll show it to you. But because you don't fully understand all covenant types and shadows, you don't have a proper good comprehension of that, such as in context, you know, the priesthood of Melchizedek, I have to go back to the very basic elements, the very basic elementary things of the law so that you can see those typologies and you'll be able to understand the reality, the substance that you see in Jesus. That's basically what he's saying. So they didn't really know their own law. This is why we've titled this the value of understanding the law. And this is why when you want to teach gospel truth, you have to include teaching of the law. Because if you don't understand the law, you're not going to fully comprehend the new covenant, grace, and redemption in Jesus. Amen. And so that's what he's referring to. Let me show you and give you proof that when he says the oracles of God, he's referring to the old covenant law. Acts chapter 7 verse 38. He says, This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness, talking about Moses, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. Well, what happened on Mount Sinai? Moses received the law, right? Then it goes on and it says, And with our fathers, the one who received, watch this, the living oracles to give to us. I mean, what did he receive? What did Moses receive from the angel from God? He received the law of God. And notice here, he calls it the oracles of God, basically. So you can see that that's referring to The old covenant law. So in Hebrews, when he says, I need to teach you the first principles, the basic things of the oracles of God, he's talking about the law of God. Because like I said, if they don't understand the law, they don't understand the types and shadows, they're not going to grasp new covenant truths about Jesus. Here's another one that makes it as clear as anything. Romans chapter 1, chapter 3, I'm sorry, verses 1 and 2. It says, he says, what advantage then has the Jew? So he's talking about someone who's under law. Or what is the profit of circumcision? That is a, you know, something that stood for being living under the law. He says, much in every way, watch this, chiefly because to them, in other words, those under law were committed. And he uses the exact phrase that he used in Hebrews 5. Watch this, were committed the oracles of God. What is he talking about here? In context there, in that short context, you see that he's talking about the old covenant law. He uses the exact same wording, and it's clear that it's a direct reference to the law of God, because that's what they had. And so, you can see from that, that, you know, thinking about our portion that we just read in Hebrews 5 verse 12, he says, Now I need to teach you again the first, the basic things, the elementary things about the oracles of God. He means the law of God. Like I said, because if you don't understand the types and shadows of the law, you are not going to fully appreciate and understand new covenant truth. Amen. And of course, those of us who have been with us for a while, you know that that's the case. That's why so often we teach on all covenant types and shadows and refer to them because they help us understand the substance, the real gospel truth and new covenant. Amen. And so you can see from that that that's what he's referring to. And so in essence, you could say that what he is saying is this. And I'm going to give you my own little paraphrase of what he's saying so far when he says that. By now, you should be teaching gospel truth. Yet you need to be shown the basics of God's law again So you can understand how its types and shadows reveal the real. Or you could say, Jesus. I know I've said it a few times, but I want to make sure we understand that. Amen. So that's what he's saying. And so because of that, he says, you've become like babes. And he says, who need milk and cannot handle solid food. That's why you can't handle the meaty stuff of gospel truth. Because you don't fully understand old covenant law. And you don't fully understand because if you did you wouldn't consider leaving the gospel truth that's in essence another way you could put what he's saying now that term babe and i thought we'll add it into the study but it's just going to rabbit trail and take us longer but uh, for example in romans 2 20 it's not on the screen but you can make a note of that or when you listen to it again you can get it but in romans two twenty, for example it shows you that the term babe was a well-known term uh, to Jews they knew it well they knew they would often when they were the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, when someone was new to the faith or converted or whatever it is to Judaism, they would refer to them as babes you know kid children who were learning about the law and they would teach them, they would refer to them as babes and so when he uses that term it's something that's very familiar to them so they can they they get a whole picture when he uses that term. All right so, What is this strong meat, this solid food that they couldn't handle? What is it that they, what is it by not understanding the law adequately and properly and like they should, what is, what, what solid food was it holding, causing them to be held back from? What is it, what solid food, what solid, what do you call it, strong meat could they not handle because of it? Well, he gives us the answer in verse 13. Let's take a look at that. He says, for, remember, this is all part of the context. He says, because, for, everyone that useth milk is, watch this, unskillful, and here it is. He has the answer. He has the strong meat. He has the solid food. In the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So, the solid food that they couldn't handle, or they wouldn't be able to handle because they didn't understand the basics of the law, was the word of righteousness. So you can see from that, that when he says the word of righteousness, what he's really talking about is faith righteousness. Or you could say, right standing before God in Jesus. Because remember, new covenant righteousness is different to old covenant righteousness, if you will. Under the law, they had to earn and deserve and be righteous by their merits and performance. And that was never achievable, never possible. This is why God gives us righteousness, faith righteousness, because we we receive it by faith, by believing. That faith righteousness is new covenant righteousness. And so what he says here is, is that that strong meat, that solid food that you should be eating by now, is understanding your right standing before God, In Jesus, by grace, not by law. Because that's impossible. And he says, so what it does is it makes you unskillful at that. That's what he's saying. And we see this very thing in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Watch what it says there, from the Amplified. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been clearly revealed. Talking about beyond the cross. Independently, watch this and completely apart from the law. Though it is actually confirmed by the law. See, there it is. He says the law, if you understand it properly, it's actually a type in shadow and helps you understand new covenant righteousness, grace righteousness. He says, but it is independent of the law. You can't mix the two. You can't get it from the law. It's only by the finished work of the cross and God's grace. He says by the law, And the words and writings of the prophets. So even the prophets confirmed it. And we've studied that too. He says, This righteousness of God comes, and here it is, through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, not merit and performance of all covenant law. For all those, Jew or Gentile, who believe and trust in Him and acknowledge Him as God's Son, there is no distinction. So, you can see from that, clearly, that faith righteousness, righteousness in Jesus, is understood clearer and better when you look at the old covenant law and its types and shadows. And so, but he says it's an independent righteousness. In other words, you don't get it from the law, but the law helps you understand it. That's what he's saying. And this is why, going back to Hebrews, he says, you know, you know he who uses milk, in other words, doesn't understand the fullness of the old covenant types and shadows, the law, he says, becomes unskillful in understanding new covenant righteousness. And that makes him a babe. So there it is there. Now, I want to show you something else in this verse 13. So let's continue. I want, there's something specific that I want to highlight here. Look at what he says. He says, for everyone that uses milk. Remember, he said he's unskillful in the word of righteousness for he's a babe. Now that word unskillful, it's a very interesting word in the original language. And so what I want to do is I want to show it to you from one of the original sources. And so we're going to look at that word unskillful from what is called a pocket lexicon. You can move on from that. A pocket lexicon to the Greek New Testament. And here it is. Yeah, here's the definition of that word unskillful. There's all the details that you need, the number and how it's written in the Greek, and it's the word apeiros, or something like that. And watch what it means. It means inexperienced in, without experience of, or unacquainted with. So leave it on the screen for a moment, and I'm going to read that Hebrews 5.13 for you to hear as you watch these definitions, and I'm going to replace the word unskillful with these definitions. So listen carefully. For everyone that useth milk is inexperienced in the word of righteousness. Or you could say, is without experience of the word of righteousness. Or you could say, is unacquainted with the word of righteousness. So you can see from that, that he, remember, he already referred to the milk as the basic things of the law. And he says, someone who, who doesn't understand even the basic things, he becomes unskillful in new covenant righteousness, faith righteousness. In other words, he doesn't experience it. He, he, he is unacqu- becomes, he's unacquainted with it. So it's key to understand old covenant law and its types and shadows to really fully appreciate and understand new covenant realities and truths. Again, Amen. So not having a good understanding of God's law in this case or in their case prevents one from understanding faith righteousness. Why is that? Because the focus of the law as far as righteousness goes is on self righteousness, not imputed righteousness through Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Think about the law. The law Deuteronomy 28 tells shows us that you do you get you don't do you don't get and in actual fact you face curses right and so when you think about that for someone to be righteous before god to have right standing before god under the law they had to work as hard as anything to meet every requirement of the law and as you know no one could ever do it and in james it says if you you know mess up one you're guilty of messing up the whole lot and so, this is why we need Jesus. And so, this is why it says here, when he says you become unskilled. In other words, if you are going to hang on to the things of the law, and you don't even understand that properly, it's really going to make you inexperienced, and you're going to lack experience. You're not going to be acquainted with the righteousness that you can have in Jesus. So, you can see he's really contrasting for the lack of a better description, Judaism and Christianity here. He's contrasting old and new covenant. Amen. That's what he's doing here. And so he goes on now, as we finish off in verse 14, watch what he says here. Remember, this is all still part of the context of our portion. He says, but strong meat. Now, you know what that strong meat is? Faith, righteousness. Righteousness in Jesus by God's grace. New Covenant righteousness. So, but faith righteousness, watch this, belongeth to them that are of full age. In other words, those who really comprehend Old Covenant typologies and realize the revelation of New Covenant righteousness. That's what he's saying. So, he's not talking about baby Christians and, you know, mature Christians. He's talking about the understanding of, you know, Old Covenant typologies and New Covenant realities. He says... But faith, righteousness, belong to them. They are of full age. In other words, who have good, proper understanding. Even those who by reason, see, there it is there, of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, think about the context. The context here is about understanding law in order to properly understand New Covenant. And he says "Yeah, he says it is by reasoning, in other words, understanding both, <laughs> really that reasoning is going to help them discern both good and evil. Now again, traditionally, this is taught to say that the good and evil refers to sinning or not sinning. But that's not what he's referring to, because remember the context here is about the t- understanding the typologies and thus understanding the new covenant realities. And so when he says those who understand faith righteousness are the ones who have a good understanding of all covenant law and typologies, and therefore, by reasoning, they are able to exercise and determine what is good or bad for them in terms of doctrine. He doesn't mean that in terms of sin or not sin. He's talking about in terms of doctrine. That's the context here. Remember? Let me show you that same portion, that same verse from the Phillips translation. It will help us see that. He says, solid food is only for the adult. Now, you know, that's not, that's talking about someone who understands. That is for the man who has developed the ex- by experience. See, they translate that properly from the original that unskilled, by experience, his power to discriminate, watch us between what is good and bad for him. And again, what is the context? Doctrine, understanding, faith, righteousness. So you know that it's not talking about sin. Can you apply it to sin? Yes, you can. But to specifically apply this to sin only would be a, a theological error because we lose the context number one and number two we're taking it away from what he's trying to explain here you can see here that he's specifically referring to someone who understands all covenant topologies, has a good solid understanding of them understands and realizes and values new covenant realities and really gets it and because of that they're able to determine from there on what is good doctrine, what is not good doctrine, and they're able to tell the difference. Just like the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, you know, divide the, the word of God rightly, justly. So you can be a good workman for God. And that's what we need to do. That's what he's referring to here. So the good and bad is in the sense of relating uh, to God, either by grace or by law. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry, or To make a donation to help us continue spreading the Gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.